This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Today we're bringing back a listener favorite, The Doctors Are In, which originally aired on August 1st, 2023. Dr. Mario Brown and Dr. Mary M.J. McConnor joined us to help sort through the ABCs of DEI, otherwise known as Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. It might feel a little bit like alphabet soup, but when you simplify it, people just really want to belong and feel included. It's all about the journey and not necessarily a particular destination. This episode is particularly important because it speaks directly to our organization's values. One of New Memphis's values is we are committed to inclusion. We believe a prosperous Memphis is one where everyone is welcome and everyone can thrive. We hope that you take a moment to reflect this season on the ways in which you belong right here in our community, as well as revisit how you can be inclusive in your weekly activities moving forward. Your hosts today are myself, Jamie Bowler-Raup, and Rebecca Daly. Hello, Rebecca. Good morning. Good morning. So today, we're taking a look at the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. New Memphis has actually worked with both of our guests today. Dr. Mario Brown, uh, he was a vital partner in the creation of our Embark Leadership Program, and he has led many trainings many trainings for our program participants. We also have Dr. Mary M.J. McConnor. She recently led a session for New Memphis staff focusing on building an inclusive community in the workplace. All right, the doctors are in. Let's welcome them to the studio. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We are excited to dig into this conversation, but first we want to get to know you a little bit before we get to know about your work. So we'll kick it off with you, Dr. MJ. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Absolutely. Well, thank you all for having us. This is such a great opportunity. Uh, I'm Dr. MJ McConnor, and I am the founder and owner of Inclusive Excellence Consulting, Mm -hmm. which is a full service diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. So what I tell people is that what we do is help organizations maximize the power that equity and inclusive diversity brings. So we do everything from workshops to trainings. We do uh, climate assessments, um, among many other things. So mm-hmm. glad to be here. Thank you all so much. I love that. That's, that is great. Uh, my name is Mario Brown. Uh, I have the privilege and opportunity in a work capacity to serve as the Chief Town Development Officer It's a mouthful. Chief Talent Development Officer (laughs) for First Horizon Bank. And fun fact that I love to share with people is that um, I always say that we are the hometown hero, hometown bank, primarily because we were founded here in Memphis. Uh, We were founded when Abraham Lincoln was the president of the United States, which is (laughs) a long, long time ago. And we've grown over time to to be a 90 billion dollar organization, primarily in the southeast, with more than 7000 plus associates. And so uh, for the bank, you know, what I really enjoy is really helping to maximize the potential of our associates through development and experiences that challenge them, 
They help to, in a sense, curate their own skills and awareness, right, about life. And in turn, what we know is that they end up sharing that back to our clients, people mm -hmm. who bank with us, right, no matter where they are. and But also to the communities in which they live as well. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you for sharing. Well, today we are digging into the ABCs of DEI. Okay. And I think to just get a little bit of level set before we dive into the conversation, if we could go over a few of the terms that we'll be using, and uh, you're hearing us use the acronym DEI, but Dr. MJ, is that mm -hmm. the only set of letters that we'll be using today? It is oh, not. It is not. It, there are so many acronyms. So many. And, you know, a lot of times organizations, they'll ask me, which acronym should we use? And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, in really which order? In or, which, in order? which order? Yeah. Exactly. That comes up so much. So it really depends on what you want the focus to be. So, I mean, you might hear DEI, which is common. Uh, now, a lot of organizations have added B to the end of that, which stands for belonging. So mm -hmm. you have diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. Um, one of my favorites, as you know, mm -hmm, we talked mm -hmm. about is Jedi. Uh, yep. <laughs> yes, it is. I love it. This I is am, the way. Right. I want my lightsaber. <laughs> right. Right. Because um, I am a Star Wars fan. Me but too. that stands for justice, equity, diversity and inclusion. And so some organizations are, uh, you know, focused on different social justice efforts. So they choose to use Jedi. Um, you can hear DEIA. So that can be diversity, equity, inclusion, access or diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism. So it's just so many different acronyms that are out there. IND is a common one, inclusion mm -hmm. and diversity. But what I always tell folks is don't focus as much on the acronym as much as, you know, the actual work. And right. so, if, you right. know, even if you call it belonging, well-being, there's so many different ways you can frame it. Um, but it really, the, it's the action part of it that really matters most. Agreed. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot of sense. And and the work that you're doing is not new work. This no. has been around for a long time and in, in the workforce specifically. But there's uh, it seems like there's a more intentional focus on it right now, a little bit of a spotlight. Is, is there a reasoning why we're seeing more conversations happen around this work? Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because it has been around for a while. Right. Since when you think about the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And, mm -hmm. and so, I mean, it's been around for several um, decades now. And I think a lot of folks didn't really start learning about equity and inclusion work quite as much until certain incidents happened in our society. I'm thinking specifically about George Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when a lot of companies decided, OK, this is something we need to focus on right now. Because people are telling us that they want to see a focus on inclusion and, and equity um, because of what happened um, during that time. So it's not new. It, it's been around a long time. And a lot of organizations have called it different things such as IND. And, and you know, it's, it's just evolved over the years. Um, but, but it has been around for a long time. Yeah. I was, I was share even with um, First Horizon, we were formerly known as First Tennessee. And I always like to share people this work around inclusion has been with our organization for some time. In fact, in the early 90s, when we had full-time trainers, that that was all they did. 90% mm -hmm. um, of the year, they would travel and do what was called inclusion training. And some of those individuals still work with us today and still help to advance our DEI priorities. But, you know, another thing I'll add around that, too, is I think there were many factors that uh, pushed organizations to to, to reckon with the power of these concepts. And as Dr. MJ talked about earlier, yes, we did have, 
you know, over the last few years, at least to me, we had a racial pandemic is what I would call it, because mm -hmm. we actually had several events, right, that kind of built on top of each other, added on to. And it was different for me because this was the first time that I think that these events were on a world stage. Like yes. how many times do you see people in other countries protesting but for something that happened here in the United yeah. States? Right. 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 So to me, it was just a different feel. And I think that called called for organizations to pay more attention to the impact of these things in the world. Now, the other part is that um, because the other part is that we had a, a health pandemic. So this is an interesting phenomenon because we had a racial and a health pandemic going on at the same time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which is I'm sure when people read about us in years to come, they're going to just sit back and be like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? What was happening then? Like, how did these people survive? I'm sure they will in history books. Look at us and say that. But the health pandemic to me, you all, in terms of uh, bringing on talent also caused some issues just because we have ATS, which are our applicant tracking systems. We have these ways of trying to recruit people. And then, you know, for us, the challenge was no longer were we necessarily bringing people in to recruit them. We were relying on lots of technology to inform us on who might be the best candidate. But what we also found out, too, was because we were not able to connect in the same way that we have been in the past. There was some bias that was built into those systems, which mm -hmm. did not necessarily allow for us to maybe get advanced underrepresented talent to the organization. Right. And I'm sure many other organizations saw this, too, when we kind of look at the research. So I think all of those things compounding, we know the effects of when you have more diverse teams, what, how that affects results. And to be honest, for a bank, it's a business case. We see the issue. We can't pretend that we don't know it now. Right. We see it in relation to um, uh, an experience, but also the impact. And so if we want greater impact, then, you know, we have some good direction here on what we need to do. And these practices are one of those promising practices. I think they help us, help us get closer to our goals. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk more about the the impact of this work more? You know, you started that. What are what are some of the benefits of doing DEI work um, or whatever acronym mm -hmm. you choose? Yeah. And, is there an ultimate goal? Like, is there an end goal for this work? Do people it just, say, it you just know, creates a new one. Is it, right, right. Like, what is, you know, for people who are like, well, how do I know I'm done? Am I ever done? You know, like, what is, what is I talk about that a bit. I'll go ahead and chime sure. in on that one because uh, whenever I do presentations, I tell people, now this is, this is a journey, not a destination. For sure. And I had a chance to do um, a training with Carnival Cruise Line with their cruise directors, and they were so much fun. I was like, this is I <laughs> bet. This I bet lit. they were. They were they, fun. Yes. Were you on a cruise? Like, no. Were you on a cruise ship? Oh, that would have no. been cool. That would have been so cool. <laughs> but because of them, I'm like, I am going on a cruise. I've never been on one. Oh, but, yeah, you should. <laughs> look, That's, I'm ready to yeah. turn up. <laughs> but one of the things I said to them in the very beginning, I said, I want you to think of this as a ship that never docks mm. and everybody in uh -oh. the room was like oh my goodness what and <laughs> and when i broke it down i said because it's constantly evolving you know you ha your understanding has to constantly evolve too there are some things i used to say during presentations and i look back on it like oh yeah i'm glad i don't use that term anymore like i used to say blind spot or tone deaf and um you know somebody it was actually a, a younger student who came up to me and said hey you know that comes off kind of ableist when you use those terms. And I had never thought about it before. And so that's why, um, you know, the thing with uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, access, justice, all of <laughs> it, right? 
it's constantly evolving and we have to constantly be aware and conscious of, of what we're doing and what we're saying and how it impacts others. So absolutely. Like it, it never stops. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah. and, and just real quick, That's I think, I think yeah. one of the things that discourages some organizations is like, you know, as a DEI practitioner, I live at the intersection of folks wanting change right away and then knowing that it takes time, mm-hmm. right? And so I think some organizations have been like, well, this doesn't work because they went into it with the expectation that, you know, you're going to have immediate results, but it doesn't work like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just like anything else within the enterprise, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it's accounting, mm-hmm. whether it's communications or whatever department it may be, it's constantly That's working. Right. That's right. So you can't expect... Mm-hmm. You know, an end game with those departments and the same thing with DEI work. It's going to always be something that you have to constantly be conscious of and integrate in all of your systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think about DEI as it's a business. Like mm-hmm. there's no business today that says, hey, you all, we met our goal. So let's shut down shop and yeah. we're good yeah. to go. Exactly. Nobody does that. No, nobody does that. And that's the way I think about it. The the thing that. I like to share with people is as you go through these experiences and on this journey, what it does for us as individuals is it creates greater awareness. And mm-hmm. you all know, once you have greater awareness, you start connecting even more things together. So what does that mean? One goal actually evolves itself into a bigger goal mm-hmm. or a different goal, a more strategic goal, a more expansive goal, a more robust goal. Right. So I think in that point to what Dr. MJ said, this is more of an infinite game strategy than a finite game strategy right i like that yeah, yes. yeah. so yeah. what what are some of the what are some of the benefits of the work and and like what would you say to so like how do you develop the resilience mm-hmm. or the you know to keep to keep going mm-hmm. in this type of work and i think you know i'm i'm curious to jump onto that yeah, question but- tack onto it is you know when we talk about the business case for this mm-hmm. work is there mm-hmm. a direct impact on the bottom line yeah. for folks who are more numbers focused yeah. oh yeah which is good yeah and and that's you know uh, i work at a bank you know right, my, my right. people speak numbers <laughs> right uh either it is or it is not right um and so yes in many ways we try to share the impact of this so let's take for example at a bank and this is really the world economy altogether. when we look at the world population it is becoming more diverse naturally mm-hmm. right it is no longer um let me go back. So many of our businesses, especially ours, so First Horizon, like I said, we've been around since Abraham Lincoln. And you have to understand as as organizations go through shifts and changes, they do build upon foundations over time. Right. And some of those foundations are ingrained within systems and processes. And it, it may not be as easy to navigate around them because they come become so ingrained that it's normalized. In other words, What I'm trying to say is just like in America, we have been in the United States, we've been built on uh, the history of our um, the the, the evolution of the history of our country. Um, And and some of those systems and processes that we have in place uh, may seem normal. But as we continue to get more awareness, we recognize they really are not normal. But it's difficult to make those changes. It took a while for them to come about. It's going to take a while for us to, you know, evolve them into different places. I say all that to say, even at business, even in a business, uh, we have to share with people why this matters for them. What would awareness around a different generation, their values, their preferences, what would awareness around women who um, are gaining wealth or are are wealthy, uh, what would awareness around that help you in terms of the goals that you have professionally? 
And that sounds simple, but it's very difficult to do. It is. This is why we said it's not something that just kind of comes and goes. It is definitely a journey to change, the, to try to um, affect the hearts and minds of people. It's not a snap your finger, it's done. Mm-hmm. No. It yeah. takes a relationship. It takes time, right? It takes their own experience as well to get to that point. And then your job is to be there to kind of help support them. So in that sense, and we pull back and say, for an organization, let's look at the communities that we're serving. Mm -hmm. What if we didn't serve these individuals? What would that look like for us? And how would that impact our business, right? And what do we gain by doing these small um, moments or experiences of connection and gratitude and support? How much can that help not just you, but all of us now and even into the future? So for me, There's always a business case to get this done. You cannot be what you cannot see. And I am super proud of the way that our organization is set up for future generations so that they can see, yes, me too. I too can also be a CFO Mm -hmm. of a large $90 billion organization that has been around for more than a century. I too can be a chief credit officer or I too can also possibly within the future, maybe even be the CEO of this organization. So, yes, it is a business case. That's, yeah. that's really impactful. It is. Dr. Mario, mm-hmm. you touched on so many great things. Yeah. And one of the, the things I tell organizations when I'm working with them is to try to look at it both internally and externally Absolutely. to look at the benefits of it. Yes. Because let's let's be straight up. Sure. When you lose talent and you know this, mm-hmm. it's costly. Ooh, yes, it is. Turnover <laughs> is costly, <laughs> yes, you know, is. and you want to re- retain diverse talent. Yes. And then you also have to think about your customer base or your client base. Right? right. So that's the external factor. So, I mean, it has to be ingrained in your, your processes, yes. your systems, your the way you operate as an organization. If you want to continue that's exactly right. to thrive, especially in the 21st century, like it. things that we did maybe 50 years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, you just, you have to look at that and say, okay, is this still is working? This working? Yeah. Has our, has our buyers, have they evolved? Have they changed? Yes. What, what are they passionate about? Absolutely. And I was on a flight last night with a gentleman and we were talking about Generation Z. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. y'all, know, y'all know I love Gen, Gen yes. Z years. Yes. Um, and we were talking about, you know, he, he's he's, you know, a baby boomer. He mm-hmm. said, you know, my daughter, she won't even work at a company that does not focus on social responsibility. That's right. Mm-hmm. He's or right. focus yeah. on that's right. um, inclusion and equity efforts. That's so right. that's something you have to think you about. You really too. have to be when, aware of it. Yes. When CEOs and, and, yes. and leadership teams ask me, what's the business case? I'm like, oh, there's a very strong Absolutely. business case. If you want to attract the talent you're trying to attract, you have to think about those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Agreed. Can we expand a little bit about Gen Z? My, oh, my, yes. my understanding <laughs> is that they are the most diverse generation in American history. Yes. So what does that look like when we think about them onboarding into the workforce? <laughs> yeah. That's it's interesting. So here's what I'll tell you from, from my perspective, which I study, um, I collect all the data and study all of our associates at First Horizon to really put these things into perspective. A couple of years ago, I'll share this. A couple of years ago, we had uh, several generations come to a workshop to understand, you know, how do we work well together? We had our managers who were part of older generations. And of course, as you said earlier, much of our new talent was part of the younger generations. And I saw that there was just a lot of this and that and 
they they like this and I like that and this person doesn't want to do this and that. <laughs> but you know what I end up finding out? So after I end up studying uh, all of these generations, I found out that we all pretty much have some of the same values in terms of how we want to live life and what we want mm-hmm. out of life. Mm-hmm. The difference is how we prioritize those. Right, right. Right. That's exactly it's, right. We all want to, you know, make make money so that we can do the things we want to do. Right. But some of us may prefer to make money and store that money for a later time. And some of us want to go on vacay now. <laughs> yep. Right. And we need workplace. We need vacation time often so that we can go and enjoy the money that we just earned. So what I, what we end up really centering our conversation around is, number one, we all have the same values. We just may prioritize them differently. Does it make one, you know, bad or not? No, it doesn't. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And so today, um, when most of our workforce, of course, <laughs> is the younger generation, I really try to get people to center around that and stop using what I call distractions. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to find out what will disconnect you from this valuable, awesome talent that we need, by the way, to keep mm-hmm. this enterprise going. Because you can't be here forever. I can't be here forever. I always tell people we are custodians, right? Mm-hmm. We have a time period that we are here and then we're gone. Our job is to do what we can today and then share and help support the next generation. So, yeah, we focus a lot on that in terms of bringing in new and different talent to the point of what you mentioned earlier. One of the biggest challenges we're facing is the way in which people work. Uh, We're a bank and... You all, there are people out there trying to steal your money all the time. Even if you have five cents, they want that. (laughs) And our job is to make sure that they don't get it. Um, And so I say that because our old framework was we can secure and we can keep all of this safe. If everybody was just at one of our locations, that way we can put this good framework around it. But you know what? Our younger talent was like, hey, I really want to come work for you, but I'm going to live in Hawaii. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> that makes me a little nervous, right? right? But um, I think that is how the world is changing. Mm-hmm. We won't be able to always, you know, force, in a sense, I guess, uh, talent that we need to come and sit in one of our office locations in Memphis, Tennessee. Right. That's right. a preference. Then that's very different than the past, right? Mm-hmm. That's very mm-hmm. different than the past. So I think we, we try to think about those types of things in terms of bringing in the next generation that's going to carry us forward. That's good. Yeah. That brings up um, a, an interesting thought about bringing people to Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the impact of this work locally, not just within your organizations, but does that ripple out into the community? Absolutely. So, you know, Memphis was just named the di- most diverse city um, in the nation, it, mm. right? I'm in on my <laughs> I don't, I don't know, but yeah. I believe it. Nice. Yeah, I, I got to find the article. I'll send it to you all. But yeah. it was named one of the most diverse cities in the nation, and I think not only does that work to our benefit, <laughs> you know, because I mean, we want to to be proud of that. Um, but when you think about the folks who will come here because of that, mm-hmm. right, people are attracted to that. And we just talked about younger yes. generations and, and not just younger generations, but folks of all backgrounds, all ages and, um, you know, all parts of the country are like, oh, OK, what are they doing down there in Memphis? At? You know, it, you know, obviously this is something that they're focused on. This is something that they're proud of. So I do think it's going to attract a lot of folks to the city and then attract a lot of businesses as well. So, of course, I think about businesses a lot because I'm an entrepreneur. Right. And I know as a business owner, I'm always like, OK, I want to be in a location where I feel supported. Mm-hmm. I want to be in a location where I feel like I can connect with other professionals, other mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and business owners. And mm-hmm. that's how a lot of business owners think. Right. 
Um, so, I mean, with that comes a thriving economy, mm-hmm. right? When mm-hmm. you attract talent, when you attract businesses, then you have folks who are, you know, contributing to a thriving economy. So it just it just really helps boost Memphis, like, and not just economically, but just socially and just mm-hmm. we're on the map. Like, look, we're here to stay. What's up? <laughs> you know, I come on, it. come, come to Memphis. I love yeah. it. You know, another thing about a diverse community is, and I'm I'm sorry, I got feedback the other day. It was like, Mario, you got to get out of professor mode. But I can't help it. I love no, having no, stats please. and research. So um, there was this article, you all, that you, you know, the listeners today really should go and check it out if you're so interested in it. It's called The Punishing Reach of Racism. So let me get to the point of why diversity matters, right? They did this 30-year longitudinal study on people who were, I'm Gen X, born in the same year as me. And they followed them. And they, what was so fascinating about this is they follow people from various backgrounds, various social and economic statuses, where you, whether you were in the top 1%, you were considered to be middle class, or you were considered to be in the lower social economic classes in different cities and backgrounds. Just a lot of different factors. It was actually done in partnership with Harvard, but the New York Times published a great article about the research, and they've extended that today. Through all of the research you are, let me tell you what was so fascinating to me. They basically said that for certain people, it doesn't matter where you start in life. Like you can start in some of the highest brackets and you can fall to some of the, the lower brackets as you get older. But there are some who can start in the lower brackets and move up. But between all of those factors, the people who, and I like the word you used earlier, the people who were able to thrive over those 30 years the most and obtain those goals in life and do the things that they wanted to do and be able to navigate scenes and careers and opportunities. Here's what they found out. They went back to find out where this population of people came from, and they saw that many of them came from a zip code, a certain zip code. I won't say what the zip code is, (laughs) but they said they came from a certain zip code, but it was the characteristics of the zip code that made the difference. Mm. In this zip code, there were people who were from the, a range of social economic statuses from the rich of the rich to maybe the, the poorest of the poor. But what they found out was all of these people interacted together. It was a non factor for them that you have lots of money and I don't. They went to some of the same schools. They were um, engaging with each other's families in their houses. Uh, these people were from different uh, backgrounds. So they were speaking multiple languages. Right. Mm -hmm. Learning different customs and values. And those individuals were the ones that tended to thrive the most out of the the entire research group. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. I love that. That shows you over 30 years the power of diversity on people. Yes. It's amazing. But again, it was called The Punishing Reach of Racism. And I know the title is not just like, oh, I want to read that right now. But um, (laughs) within it, you all read the New York Times article, right? It does a great synopsis because it was like a two, three hundred page report. But it's a wonderful read about the power of diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And can can I just point out that study was done over time, right? Yes. So it wasn't something that was instant like, okay, we see the benefits of this writer. 30 years. Followed them for 30 years. And so like when we go back and we talk about. DE&I and diversity, equity, inclusion, access, and like wanting to see change, you know, it takes time. And so, but yeah, I just wanted to bring it back to that. That was a 30 year study that was done. 
but we saw that it was effective. Correct. So that's what we really want to convey to organizations. Like it's not going to be instant. Correct. But just know that this is an investment and this is something you want to put resources behind because it does make a difference. That's it does point. make an impact. That so that, that was good. I need to read that that's book now. It's lovely. Yes. And I'm excited to, to read that <laughs> and to think about how that the results of that study could scale. Right, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And that's why they extended the work. I think they actually have a, a website now where they offer resources to people as an extension of their work and they still do cool. multiple things. It's very cool, you all. It's okay. Very cool. So so we talked a little bit about like Memphis and what makes Memphis unique and doing this work in mm-hmm. Memphis unique. And so can we zoom out a little bit, you know, talk about the state, you know, being placed in Tennessee and in the South, being placed in the United States yeah. where certain decisions have been recently made at mm-hmm. the Supreme Court level, um, at the Tennessee state level that impact uh, DEI, JEDI, at, at whatever <laughs> acronym you choose. What are these, you know, can you talk a little bit about the decisions that were made, how this might impact, you know, this also ties into what we were talking about, about Gen Z, this right. this impacts the talent pipeline. Yeah. And and what do you, I mean, I know that you're not like fortune tellers or anything, but <laughs> how do you see this impacting this work and, and recruiting and sure. all that? Yeah, yeah I'll go ahead and start. Um, so I think that we are going to see some long-term impacts from some of the recent decisions that were made. Um, and I'll talk specifically about like some that were made at the federal yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, level. So with SCOTUS. So they recently made the decision that you that colleges and universities can no longer use affirmative action mm-hmm. um, for or uh, specifically race, race conscious affirmative action processes. Right. So that and mind you, this has been around for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of colleges and Colleges and universities are like, well, how do we continue to attract students, you know, different students of different races and ethnicities to our institutions? And for a lot of employers, they've been thinking like, well, you know, when we think about the college to workforce pipeline or, you know, students graduating and going on and getting great jobs or whatever, you know, how do we attract diverse talent then if we don't have the students going Mm -hmm. to these institutions to get their degrees? So what it has forced a lot of organizations to do, both employers and colleges and universities, is to rethink like, okay, well, how do we continue to attract attract these students and attract these employees? And so now they're having to look at their processes. So even if they don't use affirmative action, they're looking at other metrics and methods. Um, and I think, I don't, you know, it, it's, it's, I know there's a lot of different feelings about what's going on in terms of some of the decisions that were made by SCOTUS um, and some of the things we're seeing at the state level too, different mm-hmm. states like Florida and Texas and mm-hmm. Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, you know, us being, um, you know, in the South is there's some different decisions that are made that we may not see in other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of us, it has forced us to really say, okay, we said that we have a commitment to this, right. To equity, to access, so what can we do to ensure that these things are still in place? And what can we do to still make sure that we are advocating for folks to have equal access to opportunities or equitable access to opportunities, I should say. So could I get you to break down the difference between equity oh. and equality? Yeah, you mm-hmm. see, I corrected myself. That's good. So equality focuses on sameness. So everything is the same. Everybody, Everybody. has the exact mm-hmm. same resources, the exact right. same Uh, access to something, whereas equity focuses on the individual and making sure they have what they need in order to be uh, to have the same 
opportunity to succeed. So equity is more bespoke, as people say now. It's more curated to the individual. (laughs) It is. That's a great way to look at it. And I always use a personal example um, because I am dyslexic. And so I like to use the example of if I didn't have accommodations, let's say, you know, when I was in school and, and, you know, I needed a little extra time to take a test, then I might not have done as well as I could have. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it was just that little adjustment of, okay, she needs a little bit more time on her test. And the same for other folks, like looking at each person individually and saying, okay, what do they need in order to thrive and have access to opportunities like others? So that's, that's the difference. Yeah. Thank you. And I think in terms of, you're right, as a, as a social scientist, I, I'll be honest, I'm still trying to process the implications, as you say, Aaron. I'm not yeah. a fortune teller, but I'm certainly right. trying to think about it uh, just on an individual basis and then how they might impact the work that. Uh, I had the opportunity to do for First Horizon. And I don't know yet what, Mm. you know, I am fearful of some things. I'm also hopeful for some other things. Like one of the things I'm hopeful for is that we have turned our attention to um, really focusing on what I call a a competent skill set, right? So looking at an architectural framework and say, okay, if you're going to work in enterprise technology, what are the competent um, competency skills you need to do well or perform well in this job. And the way that I look at college degrees is that, and we've even started pushing this for a lot of our positions that not sure if a college degree is always required because the way that I look at it is a college degree kind of says that, you know, from this accredited institution that you have performed some skills or tasks and demonstrated some competence in it. At the same time, that does not always guarantee that you'll continue to perform well (laughs) in those skills. And I relate that back to like a driver's license. Like people have them, but that doesn't necessarily mean. (laughs) They don't need them. Yeah, Some may need to be revoked, right? Um, (laughs) I'm not saying people need to have college degrees revoked. I don't think we can do that, but I'm just trying to relate it. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, the, the better focus for us is to say, regardless of if you have a, you know, a degree or not, can you demonstrate the skills needed to do this job well? Right. And that means a lot to me because I I even have an associate on our team who has not attained a college degree. But this associate knocks it out of the park. When I say knock it out of the park, like you would not know that this person was not college trained. Like you would really believe that they are well-trained, you know, pass a master's degree if possible, you know. Um, so anyhow, those types of demonstrations from people really have challenged us to rethink of how do we look at incoming talent and what's really needed mm-hmm. and what is really maybe a distraction or something that can weed out people that's not necessary, right? Because people mm-hmm. sometimes do that and say, hey, oh, you don't have a college degree. You can't come and do this job. And I'm like, for what? Where does it say you have to have a college degree to you know, lift 30 pounds. That's not necessary. I'm just using it as a joke, mm-hmm. y'all. But, you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. The other thing I think that corporations will have to be more intentional about is we call it succession planning. We call it identifying talent in the organization. And so even within those processes, even within hiring process, too, but within succession planning, most organizations will run into the trap of this uh, several uh, biases and I'm sure you have that in your training a lot but we all have these biases they will come into play many times they come into our, come into play unconsciously mm-hmm. right like when I work with clients not not just at First Horizon but wherever I may go and say hey talk to me about people who you really value you know people who you feel like can take it to the next level 
And what you'll oftentimes find, if people are not aware, what do you think they probably do? What type of people are they selecting or thinking about? Probably people that look and act like them. That's exactly (laughs) what they do. That's exactly what they do, right? And you all, to be honest, these people are not, um, they do not have malicious intent. They are seriously just thinking about the folks they feel like can do the job. Mm -hmm. And it's not until I'll come back and say, you know what, all of this is great. And let's talk about all these folks. And then I'll put up demographics and they'll look at it and say, oh, no, (laughs) we need to do something different. Right. So the reason I say that is corporations have to be mindful of all of these various factors that are in play. Mm -hmm. Right. And how do we combat those to really get to this to really move along on this journey? Mm -hmm. So like even advancing underrepresented talent requires a different type of succession plan and not the typical kind that we've done before. Right. Hiring new candidates requires a different type of process of selecting candidates that we have not done before. Because as I mentioned earlier during this podcast, we have things built into our systems and processes that seem normal to us. Right. And it's going to take people to say, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. We might think uh, need to think a little bit differently about this if we're going to stay on this journey like we all say we were going to do. Right. Yeah, I mean, things like affirmative action were in place to try to help undo, you know, you know, counteract some of that unconscious bias. So honestly, honestly, I mean, I I don't think I think people have been fighting this work since, you know, forever. (laughs) So, like, it's just going to challenge us to have to be more innovative and be like, okay, how do we correct root out unconscious bias in another way then if we can't do that? You know, exactly. Um, First Horizon has you talked about this a little bit Dr. Yeah, Brown, but sure. y'all have been recognized for your work in this sector um including being named a forbes 2022 best employer for women absolutely yes and if y'all have not checked out their <laughs> dei page um it is it is great it is it, really excellent it's a great model and why do you think it's important to share those things you know the strategic priorities the diversity statement, sure. like why why yeah yeah absolutely for sure i am let me just first start off by saying i am so thankful for the socialist of first horizon for making us who we are because it, it's because of them you know a majority of our workforce are women mm-hmm. and so when you talk about a business case <laughs> it is important for me to understand the differences uh between those individuals right or uh our, our, all of our associates because uh, you know, if more than 50 percent of our workforce are women, if they all left, we'll be in trouble. So, <laughs> so, right. so I'm like, listen, we got to We got to make sure we're paying attention. And we do. And we have done for years and we continue to monitor that on a very um, active basis. We several times a year, I'm sending out surveys to get what we call associate sentiment to see where people are, what's affecting them, what's not. How can we stand in the gap of support, things of that nature. But to your point earlier. Here's the here's what we realize, and it's what you talked about earlier with Gen Z. We do a lot of great things and have been, as I talked about earlier, since the early 90s, of really standing in the gap of support for our associates. We recognize that the things that people face out in the world, uh, when they come to work, it's not like they can turn those things off. Right. They all are affected by these things that's happening to them all the time. And so we want to be very, very mindful of that because, to your point, We want to make sure that all of our associates are in what we call a thriving environment. So we have a lot of great things going on to really push that forward and do something called elevating equity. Shout out to Dr. Anthony Hood, who's Mm -hmm. our chief DI officer, who also was the person who helped to spearhead that external focus. You know, for him, again, it's all about making sure communities and our clients and also potential talent 
know what we're doing around this space. Gen Z, they want to know, right? And he wants to make sure that they know that we are working hard at elevating equity. Here are some resources you can have. Here are the things that we're doing. And, you know, if you come part, if you become part of this organization, we want to get you involved as well. So we'll continue to, you know, make sure those things are updated as much as possible. Uh, Brian, our CEO, he signed this, um, what was called a CEO Action Pledge, which is a nationwide effort, y'all. And I really love it because we get a chance to partner with large organizations like Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, American Express, I mean, Ray-Ban, like all of these different organizations. And all of them are committed to how do we push forward collectively this idea of diversity and inclusion. So on this site, we, we not only have mentoring going on but we're learning promising practices from other organizations and we have this site of resources people are sharing like here's what we did here's what we did it worked well but here's what we did it did not work well right so we're sharing lots and lots of information from different industries and then our ceo is participating in summits with other ceos and saying you know from the ten thousand view you know in this economy and this market and this business like What's pressing for you all? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the next step? And what can we do together as a, a group of CEOs, large and small, to really push this forward for many, um, you know, for other organizations? So that's why it's important for us to kind of get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. And can I just say what I love about what you all have done in particular is that collaboration piece, right? Mm -hmm. You're not just saying like, okay, we're focused on getting this route right because we want to attract talent and we mm -hmm. want our customers to know we're about this life mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but it really is like we care about this to For the sure. point where we're going to work with other corporations and other yes. organizations who are committed to this work too That's because right. you do have a bigger impact that way you do when it's a collective e effort Absolutely. so that kudos to you all uh, for no, that. so excited about it yeah 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 and, and thinking about the collaboration that makes this work possible Understanding that the work is not top down. Yes. Uh, can we talk a little bit about how an organization, how every person in a in a group shares a piece of this work to make it continue evolving? But if you're not necessarily a C-suite level executive, how can you bring this to the table for your organization? Yeah, I love that. And the reason I love that is because a lot of times, um, you know, folks don't even know that they can be active contributors to that's the work, right. Right? That's right? They assume like, oh, well, that's the chief diversity officer's job or that's mm -hmm. the CEO's job. They'll they'll tell us what we have to do around it. But it really is everyone's role in the organization. And I think part of the reason um, some uh, people who are in like senior diversity roles really have a hard time is because all of the pressure is placed on them. Mm. It's like, OK, you're you're the expert. Thing. OK, all right. <laughs> what do we need to do? Whereas when it's really embedded throughout the culture, when I mean, it's truly like everybody is like, all right, this is all of our jobs. Like we all have to to champion this work. That's when it's most effective. When it there is this collective mentality of no, this is not just one department's job. No, it's not just yes. on HR. It's not just on our, our, our senior DEI leader. And uh, you have a bigger impact that way. And I love like sometimes I, I want to say this, too. I've seen a lot of momentum happen in some organizations when it's been like folks leading like, yeah, up, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's like, empowering. Absolutely. It yeah. is. And, I, and you look at a lot of movements in history, it's been young people leading those mm -hmm. movements. It has. I don't know. A lot of people sometimes don't realize Dr. King never made it to 40. Mm -hmm. You know, it was him and a group of young, young activists. And you have activists of all ages and stuff like that, a part of that movement. But 
if you look at a lot of movements yeah. in history, it has been the young folks like, hey, wait a minute, what's up with this? What what can we do to, to create the change that we need so that we can all thrive? Going that's back it. to the thrive point. So that's why I say like, you know, I think it's important for everyone in the organization to be, to have that space where they can contribute, you know, where they can, can say like, hey, this is what we would like to see. This is what would make us feel a sense of belonging. And so when you do that, then it makes it where everybody feels like they are part of that culture and they have a voice. Yeah. yeah, I feel like people don't realize how much power they have. Yeah, even exactly. as an entry level person, you can yeah. be like, "Why aren't our pronouns and our signatures?" Can right. we do That's that? Right. Just yes, we can. Can, yes, know? we can. Yeah. Yes, we can. Yes. Absolutely. I think at uh, you know larger corporations, it's easy for a person to come in and feel like this sense of being powerless. Yes. And so even at First Horizon, and I know many other organizations probably have this. We have resource groups, associate resource groups, is what we call them, and they really are affinity groups around how a person maybe maybe identify or something that they just prefer to support. So we have one called Black Inclusion Guild. We have one called Alliance and Allies. We have one for um, women, women only. And matter of fact, our, our women's associate group was the first, and it is our oldest resource group that we have at the bank. But we have one around almost anything you are. We have one around innovation. Mm. And so what I really like about those resource groups is that, as you said, Starting on day two, you can become part of a resource group, right? And they have chairs. And what happens is those individuals come in there and say, hey, what about this? Or I didn't like this. Or I really like this. Or can we do something like this? And it's the power <laughs> it's the power of the people coming together mm-hmm. is what it really mm-hmm. is. And those resource groups come back and say, hey, look, from this resource groups and we talk to um, we talk to our Latinx groups and everything and they agree. This is something we want for the bank. And guess what we do? Yes, if there's something that is in line, we are going to make sure. Now, it can't be like something that's going to put us in trouble. But if, (laughs) you know, we can't can't do anything unethical. But if it's something that's going to support our associates and these resource groups have come and shared that with us, how cool was that that an individual can become part of a group, share an idea, and collectively they've used that people power, right, to voice something that they want for the organization. And we respond to that. That's why we have them today. Um, We have so many of them throughout the footprint. But I think that's a way to when mm-hmm. you talk about people coming in and trying to, you know, find their footing and a s- sense of I do have a voice. Resource groups or communities are a good way to do that. Yes. And, and larger organizations, I'll say. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Speaking of communities, like what about outside of your work? Like say uh, I'm a Memphian and I've never I don't know anything about anti-racism and I don't know anything about DEI. What do you suggest I do? What's something small that I could do, you know, today or tomorrow to learn you know because it can seem overwhelming it, it can feel overwhelming at times and one of the things i love about memphis in particular because memphis has over like three thousand nonprofit organizations there's oh so many it can be mm-hmm. like ooh, this is mm-hmm. a lot um but there's so many different ways to get involved um and, and you don't have to necessarily pay a ton of money like there's free resources out there um there's always different programs that are being offered one of the things that I enjoy doing, uh, I look at the Choose 901, uh, you know, to see like, okay, well, what's out there? What what's, sure. what events are happening? And they had all types of events going on during Asian uh, American and mm-hmm. Pacific, Pacific Islander, Islander Month, yeah, for example. Yeah. I use that as an example during the month of May. And I actually know the person who's sharing that, Dr. Sanai Laybourne. <laughs> we love her. her. Yes. She's the bomb. She's the bomb. <laughs> yes, we and, do. I mean, yes, just something do. like that where I was like, oh, I didn't even know this was going on. Yeah. So just, you know, getting connected and being informed and, and seeing what's out there 
It, it could be just a simple something as simple as subscribing to a newsletter. Correct. And then you're like, oh, OK, let me go learn about this because I, I don't know a whole lot about this culture or I, I want to gain this experience. So there's there's so much out there. There's so many different ways to get connected. And then shout out to New Memphis. You know, uh, I, I subscribe yes. to the newsletter. Yes. And I see like, oh, here's some <laughs> updates. And yeah. I try to I add stuff to my calendar. I try my best to go. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes yeah. I can't. But just knowing that it's out there. Yeah. So it does take a little work sometimes to say, like, okay, let me be intentional. Let me subscribe to some newsletters. Let me follow Absolutely. some some different platforms on social media. But the information is out there and there's so many ways to get connected in the community. Yeah, I think I there are a lot agree. of perceived barriers to entry for participating in this work, but I think you mentioned the first step is knowledge. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much power in understanding your community before you attempt to affect change within it Correct. and getting to right. know your neighbors. Right. Um, and That's so I right. love that you called out That's just right. going to events and getting mm-hmm. to see the community in action and in, in a place that's as diverse as Memphis. That's really special to know how many opportunities there are to do that. And Dr. Brown, mm-hmm. you've mentioned before approaching situations like that as a curious learner. Right. <laughs> can you talk? <laughs> oh, you remember that. That's right. Oh, there you go. Good job. Good job. Can, you, can you talk a little bit about the, the mm-hmm. way that you approach um, you know, stepping into an unfamiliar environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you, Dr. MJ, for saying that because it's the exposure you all like. Um, I personally, for me, my journey is um, I like to go and try or be part of networks or communities that are out of my comfort zone just so I can see, you know, what's on the other side. You know, I like to sit back as, you know, when I get into my full research mode, like I may go into a room and I I normally will talk, y'all. Like I can talk to a lamp all day and have a, <laughs> have a great conversation. Um, but when I'm trying to understand, you know, I'll go into the room and I'll sit back more and say, OK, so let me just take a look at the body language. Let me just take a read of the room. Let me just take a look at maybe how people are dressed. And then what is, what are their conversations focused around? And how does those how do those conversations either match or fit into currently my way of life and what I think about or how is it different? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that sounds simple, but it takes a lot. But when I do that, I then understand, you know, uh, things that maybe a disconnect. If I really want to connect with those individuals, like what what is it that I need to do to bridge the two between where I perceive them being and where I feel like uh, I am? Right. Or how do I help myself connect more with them? Mm. So, you know, if I feel like there's a big disconnect, I go into it with the mindset of, okay, help me understand more about what you're passionate about. And then what do you like to do for the community or the city? Right. Just really asking those questions to really kind of deep dive with that individual around their own personal interests, values beliefs on life, things of that kind of nature. And normally human behavior will say or predict that normally when you engage in a conversation with a person like that, typically they'll start asking you questions too. Mm -hmm. See how that works? So now you have gained some information and knowledge about that person. And now you get a chance to share with them a little bit about your world Mm -hmm. as well. Not to say that they'll make a big change, but at least you've had that opportunity to share and I just put that on repeat. I go over and over again. And then after a while, I come back and say, OK, you know, I've met with these individuals. I know where the disconnect is. So let me now figure out. So how do I help bridge the gap? Like, how do I get somebody who's not connected to the community in which Mario was raised, which was called Dixie Homes at that time? How do I help people understand the the importance of 
helping communities such as that will actually help us to have a better Memphis all together. Mm. Like, that's the hard part, right? Because that is not an easy sell all the time. People are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do this all the time. Oh, I give here and I give here. And I'm like, okay, I understand that. And that's great, right? But what difference would it, I mean, what what could the difference be if you maybe carved out a little of that and just gave a portion over here? And if I can get 10 people to do that, that's much better than, you know, before, right? So that's kind of how I approach it myself. Um, I learned a lot in that process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot in that process, but it yeah. does take time. But back to your point earlier, being curious is one of the most valuable things that any person can have as a talent in their life. And the thing is, we all have that skill. Just some of us tend to do it more often than others. Curiosity is also scary. Mm-hmm. Because here's the other thing that I didn't necessarily share. Sometimes you will find out that you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Right? That's so true. You'd and you're like, oh, like, man, mm-hmm. I need to I need to rethink my life a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think the fear of the unknown or being out of the comfort zone maybe maybe will scare people sometimes. So they don't really want to be too curious too often. So I give one example, then I'll stop. If you ever if you go to networking events, but every time you go to networking events, it's a bunch of people that look like you, sound like you, and doing the same thing as you, you're not being curious. You're networking, but are you really networking in a with a curious mindset? Are you expanding your network? Are you expanding right. your network? Right. I don't know. I, you know, you know I, I just don't know. So that's just me personally. So That's, that's a great good. challenge. Yeah. That's yeah. good. I yeah. Like Anyone listening. If yeah. you, <laughs> you know, well, just, speaking of yeah. challenges, I would, you know, as we wrap up our conversation today, sure. I'd love for each of you to share a challenge for our listeners to, to that they could implement in their daily life, in their work life. It could be a thought. It could be a specific action. But, you know, what's a what would you leave them with to challenge them with to expand their understanding and their Horizons. There you go. Ooh, oh, I like that. I like that. I see that. what you did there. Yes. <laughs> Come on, first Find horizon. your new horizon. That's right. Yeah. I, 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 You know, the thing for me that I tell people all the time um, is it is okay to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and sitting in discomfort when mm. you need to. Because usually with discomfort, that means you're growing, right? And, and if you think about any, you know, like, for example, you think about a, a small baby and they're teething, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're just like, oh, this is so uncomfortable, but they're growing teeth, right? Mm-hmm. They're, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're becoming like to the point where they can start chewing solid foods and stuff like that. And so when you look at it from that perspective of, all right, I'm go, I'm about to go to this meeting. I'm about to go to this workshop or training. And I know this is probably going to push me a little bit to the point where I'm a little just uncomfortable. But how can I sit with that discomfort and allow myself to learn and grow in the process? And trust me, as an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, as, as somebody who uh, does DEI work, I'm always uncomfortable mm-hmm. all the time. But I've learned to to embrace it as a part of the journey and as a part of the process. Right. Going back to that journey That's discussion. That's right. So in order to really grow and to really understand and build that awareness muscle. Right. And, and going mm-hmm. back to the awareness um, you have to you have to be uncomfortable sometimes and you have to learn to embrace that because usually once you get past that, it's like, wow, I have learned so much. Yeah, I have so learned true. so much about myself. I've learned so much about others because I allowed myself to to be pushed out of my comfort zone. 
It sounds like you share so gratitude true. for those moments too. Like I you, do. you mentioned the sure. moment of when someone shared that they didn't like you using tone deaf or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And you were like, "Thank you." You sh- yeah. you had gratitude mm-hmm. for that discomfort and the learning moment, and that yeah. is such a. I think that's a great it response. Is. It's it's hard too, and I'll tell you now. Mm-hmm. Initially, I felt like, oh, I'm being challenged here. You know, mm-hmm. like it's you know when someone challenges you, mm-hmm. it's natural to be like, oh, it is. You know, you mm-hmm. go, you might put a wall up. But I had to check myself, right? I knew immediately, like, oh, you're going into defense mode. That's Instead right. of putting on that defensive posture, listen to what she's telling you. She's That's telling right. you, like, hey, this can come off ableist when you use these terms. Be conscious of it so that way you're more inclusive in your presentations. And when I let that guard down and I said, okay. Because you mentioned yeah. that, too. That's like, right. sometimes yeah. you find out you're wrong. Yeah, right? you like, do. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh. Here I am thinking like, yes, I'm all of that. Yeah, but you're not. Yeah, (laughs) but that was so humbling. It was so humbling. And that cultural humility too, like Mm -hmm. going into situations where it's like, okay, let me humble myself. That's right. And let me allow myself to be uncomfortable and listen to what others are telling me. And because of that, I've grown. I don't use the terms anymore during my presentations. And it's just, you know, you just constantly grow and evolve because of those kind of moments. So, yes. I agree. I would say, um, to what you shared earlier, there are two words and then three principles I would just say people need to challenge themselves around all the time. It, it is about having constant awareness, mm-hmm. and that comes from having a curious mindset, and it's choice. So if there are two words, it's the awareness and the choices that you make, right? And the reason I say that is because the older I get, the less bad, bad vibes I want in my life. So I really try to make sure <laughs> yeah, that I'm aligned around uh, three things. What helps to set me at ease whether I'm in uncomfortable or comfortable situations is really knowing my purpose in life. So that's one. Even with students that I have had over the past, you ask them about, you know, why are you here? Right. What are you supposed to be doing? And I'm not talking about your title at your job. I'm not talking about you being a dad, like as a person, like what do you feel like your purpose is? When you meet people, when you do things, what is that? Can you say that in a statement? Can you define it? And since I have developed and redeveloped my, or refined, I'm sorry, my purpose as I got older, it helps to put me at ease. So even in confrontational moments, I don't find myself getting as anxious or upset because like Mario, you living in your purpose, just chill out. It's okay. Mm -hmm. This person does not mean malice intent. They're just telling you you're wrong. And guess what? You've been wrong before. (laughs) <laughs> right. Guess what? This is going to help you going forward. Mm-hmm. It's cool, dude. Keep going. So purpose is one. The other one is around this idea of growth. Um, I know that even until the day that I leave this earth, I'm going to learn something new. Yes. Right. So whenever I get to a point where I feel like I have stopped growing or I have achieved everything or I know it all, that's the day I've stopped living. So I have to remind myself, too, that every moment is a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. You're not losing. You're learning. It's kind of what I say to myself. And it works. It might not work for you, but it works for me. <laughs> I, I like that. Right? I like that. The other thing that I find myself doing and when people are in this work is this idea of, um, mm, I guess I would call it energy or maybe it's really around vitality. Maybe it's around vitality. So if you really live in your purpose and you really are taking opportunities to grow, it can be exhausting, you all, because once you grow and learn and you're living in your purpose, you might find yourself always being on, always giving to other people, always being super energized, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But it's like anything in life. You got to make sure you have time to unwind and reflect and have personal time, too, so that you can be the best version of yourself to those individuals that you really care about or so that you can really live in your purpose. That is a challenge to do those things Mm -hmm. effectively. Mm -hmm. Purpose and growth and this idea of energy, maintaining a good balance between those is difficult, but I think it's necessary And I think it can apply to any type of work. It can apply to the topic of today. It can apply if you're in technology or if you're in music or you're just a community activist. I think it applies to whatever you fit your fancy for your life. Right. Love that. That was good. Mm -hmm. That's That's real good. Well, Dr. MJ, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for spending time with us today, but especially for the work that you're doing to help build better individuals so that we can build a better community. Absolutely. And thank you again for the opportunity. Yes. Thank you for inviting us. Independent Bank is celebrating 25 years of sharing your stories, building your dreams, and serving you heroically. Find out how iBank can help you achieve your financial dreams at i-bankonline.com. Member FDIC.